The Witching Hour with Aaron Mazza is a Mind Garden Media podcast in association with Screw You Todd Productions. My name is Aaron Mazza, and this is The Witching Hour. Hey everyone, it's Aaron. Back again. I had to take some time off to resolve some family issues, but that has all been taken care of, and I'm so happy to be back in the chair. I really hope you enjoyed my last episode with Infis Book and their interpretation of the Kabbalah. I know I really enjoyed the book. I put the review up on AaronMaza.com, and I hope you head on over there to give it a read. And in this episode, we have the wonderful Nicholas Pearson here to talk about his latest book, Flower Essences from the Witch's Garden. I really hope that you enjoy it. And speaking of the show... Yours truly has begun a Patreon to help support the show and be able to create even more content. Patrons will receive rewards from shoutouts to monthly free readings and a monthly live stream book club. Become a patron at patreon.com backslash Aaron Mazza. That's all one word. Patreon.com backslash Aaron Mazza. I really hope you enjoy the show, and if you have any questions, you can find me on social media, including Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy, folks! Hey, Nicholas, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Aaron. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, so how's the weather, weather down there in Florida? Hot. Um, it, it just woke up and decided to be summer. We had a, a gentler spring than I can remember for a little while, but it's gone. <laughs> you sound so wistful, but it's gone. <laughs> but yeah, it was like that here in St. Louis. It was like cold and rainy when it was supposed to be very springy, if you'll allow me to use the word, and have like flowers and stuff. But it was it, it seemed like almost like an extended winter until one day we're like, oh, this is 70 degrees, and then bam. We, we get hit with 90 and heat indexes of 100 and humidity. Well, I, I don't envy the rapid change, but I can relate to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, ac- I've actually been in Florida a few times. And one of the times being in Florida, I actually got to meet you face to face. And we went and ate some kind of uh, cuisine, but I'm not quite sure I, I remember which kind it is. It was Indian. I remember it well. Oh, oh so it, it meant something to, to eat with old Aaron, didn't I? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so my first question to you, Nicholas, I asked to all the guests is, how did you discover witchcraft? I think my origin story probably resembles a lot of people's. And the, the very short version is that I was kind of a weird kid. Um, I loved to read. I, I devoured everything I could get my hands on. And I'm thankful that I grew up in a pretty non-religious household. My father was a recovering Catholic, so I wasn't raised as much of anything at all. And when other families went to church on weekends, my dad and I would go visit what I affectionately refer to as the Cathedral of Learning. And we'd spend hours and hours at the county library. And I remember when they built the fancy new one, um, a little further into the heart of town, and it was many times larger and therefore filled with many, many, many more books. And one week I might be 
collecting fairy tales and folk tales. And um, I used to really love world religion and mythology. Um, I guess because I wasn't raised with any particular kind, it was just something I craved. But, you know, then the next week I might also be reading about like natural history and science. And my dad was a man of science. So I, I kind of grew up in a pretty science heavy household and pursued it academically off and on. And at a pretty early age, I, I recognized that science and spirituality or religion, take your pick, it's all describing the same phenomena in the world. It's all just ways that human beings have tried to make sense of living in the cosmos. And so I've always thought of them as like two different sets of poetic languages that help us, one, feel connected and find meaning in the world around us, but two, to empower us to have a sense of agency in the world around us. And that was so close to stumbling upon witchcraft that by the time I was a, a teenager and could actually like read real books that I got with my own money, even if I had to, had to hoard it from, you know, Christmas and, and birthdays and, and other things, I'd go out and I'd scurry into the occult section and try not to make eye contact with anyone and surreptitiously bring my witchcraft books to the counter and avoid eye contact and puzzling looks and quizzical stares from whoever was trying to take my money. And then I'd go <laughs> all night and read witchcraft books. And then, you know, after absorbing them, try to do witchcraft. And it just, it just kind of stuck of all the hobbies that have come and gone. That's one of the few things that has stayed with me all these years. <laughs> That's awesome. I like your talk about uh, going into the bookstore and trying to low key go to the occult section because I've been there. We've been there just starting out. Uh, it's, you almost feel like you're doing something that is that is just naughty or it's just like a social taboo just to read whichever books you want to read. But I remember not wanting to make eye contact with people, but now I go into Barnes and Noble or anywhere and I and I'll, I'll clutch a book with a humongous pentagram on it right, right to my chest and walk right to the counter. I know the feeling. Yeah, it's it's like a badge of honor. You get to a point where it's not so much that you're anesthetized to the witchcraft, but you know the things people are going to say and think have no bearing on your real life. And I think that's part of the magic. Like through doing the work, you become a little less... Um, permeable. You're you're more impervious to those outside vibes, we could say. Very true. So what was your very first book? You were talking about books, and I want to know what your very first book on witchcraft was. Uh, well, so, you know, not including any works of fiction that I tried to use as how-to guides, because I, I think lots of us make that attempt when we're very young. Mm -hmm. um, my, my very first proper book on witchcraft was none other than Silver Ravenwolf's Teen Witch Kit. So not like Teen Witch the book, but she had this cute, kitschy little kit that came with an illustrated guidebook. Um, and um, the, the whole box folded out into like a little portable altar and it had a little <laughs> necklace and some sea salt and a quartz crystal and a drawstring pouch and some cord for not magic. And there were a couple of coins in it too, if memory serves. And, uh, yeah, there was probably a point at which I could have recited every single incantation in that book because I just used them so many times. And, uh, you know, I, I just found it really accessible and it was broken down and it taught me things like correspondences 
in such a way that it was compartmentalized that, you know, I could just study one day of the week at a time and, and learn what that represented and what its planetary ruler was. And little did I know that was paving the way to learn things like astrology later on or um, ceremonial magic, because a lot of the same correspondences carry over. But mm-hmm. shortly after that, you know, I immediately got my hands on as many books as as I could afford at the time. My whole family knew to just give me Barnes & Noble gift cards for holidays and birthday because I was such a reader. Um, Train them well. Yeah, I mean, I I read what I could get my hands on. I remember all the Silver Ravenwolf books and Scott Cunningham. And I managed to find Gerald Gardner pretty early on. I, I would have to say that as like a 17, 18 year old, I didn't particularly enjoy reading Gardner, but I knew that I ought to. I knew that somehow it was important. You know, some of those classic books like Doreen Valiente's Witchcraft for Tomorrow, I mean, that holds up and that remains one of my favorite things. And I actually have, like right now, I'm looking at a photograph of Doreen that I keep right here on the computer where I do my writing because if she could do it and be amazing, then surely I can too, at least like the tiniest fraction of what she does. So I, I read a lot. I read good books. I read trashy books. I always try to have a takeaway from whatever I read, even if it's, wow, I should never recommend this to another person. That's a good takeaway. <laughs> <to have>. um, <clears throat> but some of those things are still with me. I still have some of those original books on my shelf right now. That's awesome. So as someone who had so many experiences and read so many books, how has your definition of witchcraft evolved over the years or better yet let's go ahead and ask what do you, what has that caused you to define what witchcraft is and what is the role of the witch in the community to you oh so you know i think witchcraft as you know in very simple terms very literal terms it is the craft that witches do so you know what is that craft what does it look like there is a magical component oftentimes there's like a, a really we'll say psychological component, especially when it comes to the community, which we'll circle back around to. Um, it is being the the walker between the worlds and the weaver of fate. It is all of the archetypes that we see in narratives of myth and folk tale and fairy tale. You know, we are as witches, the other, the outsider. We fall into that really narrow overlap between Venn diagrams of this world and the next. And as a result, by by trying to be the bridge between worlds, we simultaneously don't really belong to any at all. And so it's always been this kind of role of being other, which also kind of ties into, you know, other other marginalized identities of God. I'm a queer person. And, you know, that certainly has always made me feel othered in, in many respects as well. But I think you know, witchcraft is a very queer thing. It's it's being in that liminal space and holding together, or maybe we'll say holding open those doorways between those other realities. And sometimes our job is bridge, sometimes our job is way shower, but always our job is holding that space. That is a beautiful definition. I think that's one of the most beautiful ones that I've heard on the show so far. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you very much for that. My pleasure. And I guess if we want to tackle that bit about the community, like what is the role of the witch in the community? Well, um, witchcraft communities today are bustling and burgeoning and thriving. Like it is no longer illegal in most places to practice witchcraft. So that allows us to build a, a space of collective otherness that might not have been viable in centuries past. So I think our role in the community is 
functionally the same in many regards. We are, historically, we have been the midwives, the layer outers of the dead. We have been the um, providers of emergency medicine and pastoral care when no one else was accessible or willing to go into whatever those spaces might be. But even though we have served communities, the archetype of the witch has never entirely belonged to them. They've always been on the fringe, the, the hedge riders, um, the, the cunning folk who are respected and maybe feared, but, but not quite integrated. So nowadays with virtual community and ability to connect and, and do so much that was not available to witches past, I think we're currently doing two things. We're still trying to occupy this liminal space on the fringe, but we're creating a big world in that in-between zone where we network with one another. And it leads us into another role, which is, you know, being the bridge from the other world into this one and not just this one out and beyond. So, you know, we have to be there and hold space with the land and hold space with spirits and hold space with ancestors and gods and other guides because it used to be in many parts of the world that everyone honored and acknowledged these forces. But as that dwindles, our job as witches has as much if not more to do with how we serve spirit, whether that's capital S spirit or lowercase s spirit depends on, I guess, our personal practice. But um, I think our, our job there is more pivotal than it has ever been. I can definitely agree with that. It's, but you also, I, I think you, I think you may have touched on it, but like the witch is also like defender of like the environment. Yeah. Marginalized people like us and the see, we're starting to see, I could just, do the whole episode where I just talk about like, <laughs> all the witches in the community. But what what you're really known for in the community, and I have a few of those books sitting right here next to me, is your book on mineral and crystal magic. What made you absolutely fall in love? Because your, your crystal books just by themselves, I thoroughly enjoy. And they're fantastic uh, reference books. They're, they're right up there with the Cunningham Dictionary of <clears throat> Crystals and Minerals to me. They are absolutely well written. So what began this love affair with the mineral kingdom for you? Again, it goes back to being that weird kid. And in this particular instance, my weirdness manifested as like near compulsively picking up rocks everywhere I went. I mean, you you couldn't you couldn't put me on the spot and expect me to turn out my pockets and not find a, a bit of rock or stone in them. They could be really rare, precious things from a family vacation, a trip to the mountains, a visit to the shore. But equally as precious to me were, you know, bits of granite that I found in the landscaping or, um, you know, something that had popped out of the asphalt or a tiny little piece of limestone on the side of the road that had the tiniest fragment of uh, a fossil shell in them. And rock just always spoke to me. And in all those years that I was kind of duly invested in the world of science and the world of exploring spirituality and religion. Um, I found a particular place where I could explore both of those things simultaneously in the realm of crystal healing. You know, there was a, a real definitive set of natural phenomena and um, laws from the, the geosphere that govern the genesis of rocks, minerals, fossils, and gems. And that 
totally fascinates me. Like I can just sit there and read about mineral science and be more or less satisfied. But then the fact that people have always attributed special powers, healing, mystical qualities, personalities to these same substances has been um, endlessly fascinating to me. So I've, I've kind of made it my life's mission to explore the intersection between the science and the spirituality of rocks and minerals. I, I was lucky enough um, to be quote unquote randomly assigned to work at an earth science museum when I went to college. Um, I attended a very small university with a prestigious music school, which was the reason I was going. And I registered later than most of my cohort. So I did not end up working in one of the um, music related spaces on campus when I applied for the work study program. And instead I was put in this place called the Gillespie Museum, which just so happened to be home to the largest mineral collection in the southeastern United States, what was once the largest private collection in, in all of the US. And uh, within weeks, they gave me almost unrestricted access to the collection. I didn't have a set of keys to everything on my own, but I, I could pretty much check them out just by asking my boss, hey, Holly, do you mind if I take the keys to case nine? I found something that really deserves to be in there. She'd be like, yeah, sure, here you go, here's the box. And it was, it was brilliant because I got to be like elbows deep in these cases full of historic mineral specimens. Um, some of which are just absolutely priceless. Like if I went by today's market value and tried to quantify them, like there's there's no way as a college kid I ever would have been able to add these to my collection, but I got to know them in a very intimate way. And although those four walls were devoted to science, my downtime was really getting to know them in a spiritual way. And just all the ensuing years since then, I've I've just dug real deep into science and spirituality of crystals. And it's just been my my most constant companion. I, I think I started my proper mineral collection when I was about eight and I've never stopped. Oh, wow. You, so you've been doing it for, for quite a while. Yeah, just shy of 30 years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if, if you ever see Nicholas face-to-face it, 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 and you look at him, you're like, you don't look like you've been around long enough to do anything for 30 years. Well, thank you. The witchcraft works. It, it does. I, I can totally agree. Most people would never guess that I'm really 75. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but also what most folks may not know is that you're you're also a Reiki master and teacher. And how do that, how does your spiritual work with crystals intersect with your Reiki practice? Because I have a very rudimentary understanding mm-hmm. of Reiki. Uh can, I, I confess, and I'm familiar with like the sigils and the gestures, but you've integrated crystals into it somehow. I, uh, how, how does that, what does that look like? I mean, honestly, I practice a, a fairly, th- there aren't a few areas in my life where that where I use the word conservative to describe myself, my practice or anything, but Reiki is one of those places where um, I stay as informed by historical evidence as possible in nearly all aspects of it. So um, rarely, if ever, do I mix rocks and Reiki together. Um, a couple exceptions here or there, um, but the main one being when I saw clients more regularly, which I don't for pandemic-related reasons. Most of my work has been remote. Um, if someone on the table wants both laying on of stones and hands-on healing in the form of Reiki at the same time, my job is to show up for that person on the table. Um, but you know, otherwise, they're they're really two very separate practices. Each one a complete system unto itself. And Reiki is the art of surrender. There's not a lot of actual doing in the practice. It's it's being, it's surrendering, it's showing up, it's holding space. It's the compassionate art of doing nothing. It's kind of like there's a, 
I'll get the expression wrong. I'm going to paraphrase, but like in Zen, they say that Zen is good for nothing. And like Reiki is kind of the same way. You don't do it when you're committed to it as a spiritual practice. You don't necessarily do it to get something out of it. But when you do it, something happens. And that something looks different for different people. For me, it's helped immensely with uh, a number of different chapters of my life. But you know, these days I like to just show up and do my Reiki practice and allow it to be its own thing. Um, there are there are subtle, maybe subversive things I do behind the scenes um, where, you know, part of my daily kind of devotional practice combines work with stones, with some of the things that I do as my, my Reiki daily practice, with some of my more witchy practice. But I, I fully recognize that these are three separate pillars of what I do and not necessarily three things that make one big structure. They're, they're definitely all honored in their own way. That's so cool. Like, like I said, I have a rudimentary understanding of Reiki, and I know it can be intricate because my my mind, I, I, my knowledge is quite approximate. I, I, I will say that. <laughs> but one of the things that I'm really excited about is I have your newest book sitting next to me, Flower Essences from the Witch's Garden. Now, this kind, whenever I saw this book, that you're putting out a book about flower essences, I was like, wait a minute. This isn't about minerals or crystals. Nicholas threw me a curveball. But so what inspired you to write it? And like, how long have you been working on this? Because this book is a gr another great reference book by you. It is my largest book to date. Uh, my, my previous record holder is about 30,000 words shorter than this one. And I also wrote this in record time. So I'm not really sure how all of that happened, except, you know, it was 2020, the pandemic had just begun and we all had to find something to throw ourselves into to maintain our sanity in some ways. And this was something that I did while also doing lots of other things. So my familiarity with flower essences goes back to just before I went away to university, when I had just started teaching crystal healing classes at the local metaphysical store in the small town in southeastern Florida where I'm from, the owner of the shop, her name was Rita, Rita offered me this, this strange substance in a brown dropper bottle where she, she mixed and matched stuff from other dropper bottles uh, to support me in my emotional well-being to go away to school. And I was relatively skeptical. She described it as acting kind of like tuning forks for the emotions and they're kind of like homeopathic remedies and they're very gentle and you can't take too much or too little and they don't interact with anything else. They're not quite like herbal tinctures or other things. So I thought, you know, what can it hurt? I'll give it a try. But I will tell you, when I went away to school, my anxiety rose to like record-breaking proportions. Oof. And one of the few places that I found relief was in that brown dropper bottle. Oh and wow. Inside that amber glass was stillness. I could I could take four drops and it would be just enough to bring some stillness buried from deep inside me so I could get away from the noise in my head and the noise in the world around me. And that allowed me to remember to breathe deep and to kind of lean into the discomfort of life. It wasn't about retreating and and getting away from it. Some of my other practices definitely encouraged me to try to get away from the world, 
you know, going into the attic of the museum where the museum was kept so I could sit and meditate with rocks on my lunch break. And I try to find the most high vibe rocks I could to get off of this planet, at least for five minutes. Um, but that's, that's not a, a really effective spiritual practice. Cause then when you come down, you're still faced with the same problems, except now you're ungrounded and not able to really meet them head on. But flower essences were like a little dose of nature, a little dose of balance that I could take periodically. And I worked with them very closely for years. Rita would refresh my my blend. We'd fill out a little questionnaire together or she'd sit and listen to me chat and jot some notes down and then blend it all up. And after a couple of years of this, she'd be like, okay, well, you know, here's the box. I'll let you mix yours this time. And for some reason, I didn't believe it was going to have as much power if I did it versus her, even though it was all the same ingredients. Yeah. Uh, and... I, I fell out of touch with flower essences for a few years. Every now and then I'd pick up a little bottle of rescue remedy, which is used for like trauma and shock to give us a little rescue, if you will. Um, you can find it in just about any drugstore or pharmacy, grocery store these days. And several years back, I was working with really kind of getting in touch with the spirits of place here in central Florida. I really wanted to get to know the flora of my landscape and I, I lived close enough to wild-ish spaces, things that had once been landscaped but had been like deserted for years so they were reclaimed by nature, and getting to know the wildflowers and I really thought I was going to try to like find some resources on ethnobotany and, and do some research on the historical uses of plants in my region that with relationship to things like ritual and magic but there just isn't enough that is specific to, to Florida. But at the same time, I was also falling in love with flower essences all over again and working with commercially made ones. And like the thought just hit me one day, Nicholas, just go make essences. If there's no written record of what these plants do, go work with them, listen to them, experiment and record what happens. And so that kind of laid the foundation for, for wanting to write something different. In 2019, I, I went to Chalice Well for a retreat that changed my life with um, some very dear friends and my partner went along with. And I, I brought back a little set of flower essences that are made there at, at Chalice Well, the mystical island of Avalon in, in Glastonbury. And when I brought those nine essences back, I, I worked with them really intensively. And that was kind of like um, igniting this passion. I'm I'm a really strong Capricorn. There's a strong Capricorn stellium in my chart. And so one of the things that I like to blame on this is my desire to accumulate material things. Um, you know, the Capricorn affirmation is I use, which is just code for I need to get stuff so I can use it. So now I have an apothecary of several hundred different flower essences, some I've made, many of which I've bought. And as I was just getting to know all these different types of plants and the energies their essences carry, I started to do weird stuff with them, stuff that wasn't in like the normal kind of therapeutic manuals when I needed to dress a candle but didn't have a particular herb. I would substitute the flower essence, same for like compounding incense or doing other things. And I realized that they were really valuable in ritual. And I have known people who work with them in magical ways, but there was no like just practical guide for doing this. So in spring of 2020, when things were just starting to get uncertain, they hadn't really like all hell had not yet broken loose, but it was about to. Um, I was just standing there in the shower one morning, I'm like, 
I'm going to write a book on flower essences. I think I'm going to take all the weird things that I do and put it together and write a compendium of essences that are not specific to any one line and just do it. So uh, nine months later, I had it done. And, and, we're, and we are glad you did because this is just chock full of information. It makes me think of the Master Book of Herbalism. I, I, I think you're from. I think everybody's familiar with that. Oh, for sure. But, but this one right here, it actually has like a, you give like a like elemental alignments that uh, that I don't recall seeing in the master book of, of herbalism. This is another great reference book from you, like I said earlier. So what is next for you? What are you cooking up there in that big old brain of yours? <laughs> I have a lot of things. I, I always keep more than one project on the back burner. I have one that's supposed to be on the front burner, but I've just been doing so much teaching and I, and I love that. That, that is not a read. I'm really happy to, but it's, it's a different exertion of energy than it used to be now that everything is digital. And I try to make that accessible to as many people in as many places with different learning styles. So it's, it's a lot more prep than it ever used to be. But I, I do have a book of, we'll just broadly say crystal protection magic in the works. I can safely give that away. But I have a few other things also in the works. Um, next year, I'm going to be releasing a companion to my book, Crystal Basics. And it's going to have two and a half times as many stones in it. So um, the official announcement for that is coming very, very soon. I've seen the cover and approved it. And I've, I've teased some images of it. It's, it's coming. And then the next book after that will be my Crystal Protection Magic book. And then I think you'll just have to wait and see what comes next. I'm, I'm going to... After I finish these two projects, I'm going to do something not related to rocks, but I can't quite give that away just Oh, yet. my gosh, you're killing me. <laughs> I, I live for the curveballs. I live for for the things that just come out of left field, like, like especially when somebody has done something, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this person is an expert in, like you, crystals and stones, and then, like, whammo, here comes a book on flower essences. I'm like, this is a very – you are a veritable – Swiss army knife of witchcraft. Well, thank you. So tell these people where they can find you, like like a website, a social, or, or anything of that nature. Where can people reach out and buy your books and whatnot? The best place to find me anywhere is probably at The Luminous Pearl, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok, or theluminouspearl.com is also a reliable place to see me. Um, my, my website's in need of some updating, but... If you, if you hunt around, you'll find links that'll take you to upcoming events and a contact form, a place you can sign up for my newsletter. And I've always got tons of events coming up, um, a little bit less in, in June, but after that, it'll pick right back up again. And, and I'm happy to say that I do have, I'm confirming, like as we speak, some dates for like in-person events out of state later in the year, God's uh -huh. willing. So I'm really looking forward to teaching face-to-face -face again. That's probably the, one of the hardest things to have transitioned away from uh, over the last couple of years. I'm, I'm glad to get a little taste of it on the horizon. I am certainly glad to see, uh, to see people coming out, coming out of their hidey holes and, like you said, uh, actually interacting human to human. I really enjoyed talking and you all should go out and pick up Nicholas's new book or order it offline or wherever you can find it, uh, Flower Essences from the Witch's Garden. 
It is another wonderful reference book from the amazing Nicholas Pearson. Nicholas, I enjoyed talking to you, and I hope you have a good night. Thank you. You as well.